You're listening to New City's Sermon Podcast. We hope you're empowered and challenged as we root deep in God's Word in order that we might grow in the good news of King Jesus and live as faithful citizens of His kingdom right here in our city. Let's get into the scriptures now. Well, we're continuing our series in the power of we, and we're focusing on serving our city, loving one another. Um, if you joined us last week, so, so John began how there are dividing lines between us, whether it be political or the way um, we live our lives from all of that. And uh, he kind of went in, didn't he? He kind of he hit us there. Uh, and so today, uh, we want to look at the power of we. Uh, in, in the culture of I, me, my. So uh, as we see that God erases those dividing lines, we're, we're going to see what he does to bring us together um, to love and to serve one another and to be a witness uh, to the world. Uh, but before we do that, I want to tell you about my kitchen. Um, so <laughs> so if, you, uh, if you've ever been to my house, you, you might have seen uh, my kitchen and it feels like we've been working on it forever, but it was a kitchen remodel. We had this idea that we were going to uh, just change it over. And uh, so everything is, uh, how should I say, like maybe 80, 80%, 85% done. Uh, and there's a lot of things that come with that. And so while I like the look of it, it's just not quite all put together there. Those of, those of you that have been over, you, you've seen the house. And so there's tile that we laid out on the walls, but there's no grout to it yet. Um, the walls are sanded, uh, but there's no paint on them, and uh, we have outlets, but there's only one working outlet, and uh, the reason why is because uh, my wife and I decided to make it a DIY project, a, a do-it-yourself project. We thought we would save some, some money, um, and we thought that that would be the route to go. So, so YouTube has actually been a great help for us in some ways, in other ways, for me, it's created this love-hate relationship because uh, if you look at these tutorials, you know, how to put on drywall, how to, how to put on a backsplash, how to install a sink, it makes it look so easy, easy and seamless, right? Uh, and then you actually get to it and the tutorial, like they're smiling and everything looks good, but then you get there and you're just frustrated. Why? Because they're liars. It's, it's never easy. They're, they're, they're lying. It doesn't look like that. It doesn't, it doesn't come across that way. And it's one of the things that we've had to deal with. So we're, we're about finished. We're going to get there, but it, it's just going to take a little bit longer. And the reason that I bring this up is it's because we live in this individualized culture, this do-it-yourself culture where uh, instead of getting the help that you need, we just feel like I, can, I have the tutorials, I have the means, and it makes me feel like I can get it done, even though I'm clearly not the expert. And what we've seen with this culture is that it's actually placed our individual feelings and wants over that of anything else. And then we've seen how individualism has actually crept into the church. And what we've seen, I think, in the last couple generations is this DIY Christianity, this do-it-yourself Christianity where we feel like we can live out Christianity by ourselves. And so instead of attending church on a Sunday morning, it's, it's, so, it's far easier just to download the last sermon um, or to listen to a podcast. Instead of uh, doing discipleship in life with other people, it's easy to just download an app or to read a book. 
And what I've seen probably most often on the college campus is people emphasize this personal relationship with God uh, over and against uh, being with God's people. And so we've seen how individualism has kind of shaped our current form of Christianity. Now, don't hear me say that individualism is all bad. It's not bad and it's not evil in and of itself. It does some great things. So it promotes personal achievement. We've seen that in our workplace. We've seen that in sports. Uh, We see that um, in the world at large. But also, like, we've seen the people that tend to live in these individualistic cultures, they tend to give more, so they're more generous. So so it's not all bad in and of itself. Uh, But however, when we study the Scripture as, as Christians, living out the Christian faith, we see that God has called us into community. We see how God has called us to each other, to love and to serve each other. So how do we do that? How do we live out service and love to each other when the temptation is to just do it ourselves? Last week we saw how Jesus calls us to treat our enemies um, and those that are not like us. And then we'll see this week how Jesus actually sets an example for us. And as he sets the example, he also empowers us to be able to live out this Christian faith in love and community. And so to do that, we're going to go to John 13. And we're reading from verses 1 through 8. We'll bounce around a little bit, but primarily we're going to be in this text. And so let me read for us. It says, Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now by the time of supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So he got up from the supper, laid aside his robe, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand, but afterward you will know. You will never wash my feet, ever, Peter said. Jesus replied, If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. We'll go back and we'll stay right there. Let me pray for us as we, as we dive in. Jesus, um, as we press into this example that uh, reads differently to our eyes than it did to the first audience, I pray that you would help us to be able to connect the dots in what it means to love and what it means to be a community who serves one another. And I pray that as we press into this truth, um, Jesus, your example, that you would have something for us, that we would respond in such a way uh, that would bring us closer together as New City, and that we would be a witness to the world in the way that we love and the way that we serve one another. And I ask this, uh, that you would be with us, that you would help us, help me as I preach this message. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So on the last night, Jesus is with his disciples. Um, he, I can imagine his disciples had a lot more questions in terms of how to live out this Christian thing, how to live out their faith. And he could have went any direction. He could have taught them anything. 
But what's interesting is that on the last night that he's with them, um, he omits any other kind of teaching. He could have taught them, like, you know, how not to turn your back on your friends type of thing, but instead he doesn't do that. He demonstrates something at this table that is disturbing to everybody that's there except for Jesus himself. Jesus, knowing that he was from God, going back to God, that all authority had been given to him, he didn't use that to his advantage. He actually used this as a teaching opportunity for his followers. Instead of utilizing that authority, he actually chooses the opposite to humble himself. And he begins washing their feet. So that doesn't really resonate with us. So let me help to give you some background. Foot washing back then was something that was a menial task, but it was something that was of the lowliest of the, the, the classes. They wouldn't even have a Hebrew um, as a slave wash someone's feet. You would actually designate that for a Gentile, somebody who is not Jewish. And so if you were Hebrew and you were washing feet, uh, you would get talked about. All right. If, if that were in today's culture and society, it probably would have been on Instagram the next morning with a meme attached to it. Uh, it's just not something that you would want to be a part of. And so in this room, in this scene, there's this tension between Jesus' disciples and Jesus himself. He gets down low to begin to wash their feet, and I can imagine that there's quite a bit of reservations in the room. It's making everybody feel uncomfortable. What is he doing? They're not quite sure what to make of it, and so most of them are speechless. And yet, you can see the tension mounting as Jesus is on his knees, and he's moving from disciple to disciple, washing their feet. And again, they're speechless until Jesus gets to Peter. And Peter has to say something. And so Peter comes to Jesus and says, I, I can't let you do this. I can't bring myself to accept your service. And so Peter is wrestling with this idea of his Lord, his teacher, his master, getting down to wash his feet. Peter, in a sense, is saying, Jesus, I can do this myself. I, I don't need you to do this for me. I don't need you to wash my feet. Now, what happens here? Obviously, it's a it's, it, it's uncomfortable, but, but why Peter's response? It, it's most likely that Peter had thought, or he had never experienced anything like this, so he had never had someone like Jesus uh, or anybody close to him serve him in that way, much less his Lord. It was an attack on his pride, this thinking that Peter had it all together, and so he could easily just swoop down and clean his own feet. Why have his master do that for him. And yet for Jesus, this was a teachable moment. Jesus was letting, in, letting him into uh, something that he was about to do for the entire world. It was a, a picture of what was going to happen in the next couple days, that Jesus would be cleansing the world of their sin. And it says that Jesus had loved them to the end, that Jesus, even on that last night, to the very end of his life, he was going to love his disciples to the fullest until his last breath. And you see that here with Judas. 
Judas, if you remember the story, ends up betraying Jesus, and yet he's one of the 12 at the table. And so Jesus actually is swooping down to clean the feet of someone who is going to later betray him that night. It's really uncomfortable. And Peter is the only one that has words that probably resonate with our experience. How do we respond to this passage? We can, ble- we can be like Peter and think that we have it all together. But there's something even more here for us as well. Or we can see the bigger picture of what Jesus is doing. We can humble ourselves and accept Jesus' service to us. Because what Jesus will do for those disciples uh, would be far more, um, less or far less humiliating than what he will do on the cross. It's more than just washing feet. He will become nothing and he will sacrifice himself for the sake of the world, that he will cleanse us of our filth. So Jesus himself said to Peter that unless he washes him, uh, Peter can have no part in him. And neither can any of the other disciples. If Jesus doesn't wash them, they can't be a part of what he's doing. They can't be a part of him. And it, as, it, it's as true of them, it's as true as for us as it was for them then. That Jesus comes and he gives his life for us. That he washes us clean of all of our sin, all of our, sin, all of our shame, all of our guilt. And so our common bond as we come together is what Jesus has done for us. Now this is right up against this individualistic culture that says that I can do it myself and I can live out this Christian faith by myself and yet Jesus is here saying, uh, I cleansed you so that you could be together. That we all have a share in what Jesus has done for us. And then, when Jesus does clean us, he gives us his spirit that, ta- that changes us. That, that our worlds aren't just focused on the I, me, my of this world, but it actually centers on other people. That we see ourselves as being taken care of, that we are loved without condition, forgiven and pardoned. And so because of that, we can now be freely uh, invested in other people. And so Jesus continues um, in verse 12. When Jesus had washed, do you have verse 12 up there? I'll just begin. Um, when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer, outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. So after Jesus has cleansed um, his, his disciples, we enter into this idea that Jesus, uh, having washed us, allows us to enter into his service. Um, later, Jesus will commission us to, to live out this, this life of faith by making disciples of all nations. But Before that, he calls us to love one another. He calls us to serve one another. It's not the world that he has in mind, but those that he's cleansed. And that's interesting. Yael pointed this out last week. We had this discussion, 
and we were talking about what does it mean to step over these, these dividing lines and to serve one another. And, and I don't know if you remember what you said, but you had said that um, as we think about serving one another, if, if we don't do this right, this is like a rehearsal for us, that in terms of us serving the city, we have to make sure that we're serving one another. Like, if we don't get this right, how are we ever going to get it right in the city, uh, in those that we serve? So if we're not effective in loving and serving one another, how can we ever think about being effective out in the world? In order to be God's blended family, it, it means seeing one another as family, as part of the community that Jesus has cleansed. So my question is, do you see one another here in this room as family? And it's okay if you don't. If you don't, I, I just want to ask you the question, what's, what's keeping you from seeing one another as family? You might think of loving one another as being hard and as family as something that we'll celebrate in a couple weeks, Thanksgiving. And you know how you always have that crazy uncle that comes to the table, right? That comes from out of town and you're like, man, how did, like, you don't, like, you're just not part of us. But yet he is. He's at the table. And yet Jesus allows everybody to be at the table. And so we, in following Jesus' example, we allow people to be a part of our lives and we call them family. But sometimes it's hard, isn't it? Sometimes it's, it gets difficult and people say some things, uh, whether they mean it or no, they don't mean it, and it hurts. And it's totally understandable um, how we feel the way that we feel. And then we're being swept up in this culture uh, of individualism, uh, individualism that is all about the I, me, and mine. And so sometimes it just seems that it's easier to, to go it alone rather than th to risk being hurt. But, but Jesus doesn't necessarily let us off the hook. He says in verse 34, I give you a new commandment. And he's telling his disciples this. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Different people, different backgrounds, coming together, following Jesus. He tells them to love one another. And if we are to love just like Jesus loved, it, me it means for us stooping down to serve one another, even if we know they might betray us, even when it means they might say something about us, even if, we, even if it, like, we do something and they're not for us. Or even if we tell them to be at a certain place at a certain time and they don't show up. Even if they could fail you. Even if, fill in the blank. In order for us to make this, this idea of we work, the power of we, uh, together as God's blended family, this community, C.S. Lewis once said, the rule of all of us the rule for all of us is perfectly simple. Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. He says, don't, don't worry about the love. Act it. Live it out. Now, we may say in this individualized culture, uh, but what if I don't feel the love? Am, aren't I being inauthentic? It isn't that fake love. Aren't I supposed to keep it 100? Or as my folks call it, 100. 
And in an individualized culture that's centered on the I, me, my, aren't we taught to prize our individual feelings? That if I just act this out, I'm suppressing my feelings. And I totally understand that. I get that. But one of the things um, that, you, that you get here uh, at New City, and you see it when you walk in, is uh, this hashtag, God's Blended Family, right? You, you see that right on that sign right as you walk in week after week. We believe by faith that we are God's blended family. But what that does mean is that we are diverse people coming from different backgrounds, and that's just not natural to get together in a room like that. It's hard work sometimes. But we believe that God has redeemed us, that he's cleansed us and brought us together. And he places us in this community as a a people that are redeemed, that go out to restore. And it's nobody but God that can bring people together from diverse backgrounds and different traditions and ethnicities. That's, that's something that only God can do. And so we receive that actually by faith. We believe that. So if we are family by faith, then we love in faith. We put faith over our feelings And we love and serve one another, despite our feelings. And we're still keeping it 100 in faith. And what you'll usually find is that when you serve and go out of your way to love someone else, that it's in your serving that the feelings come. Ray Ortland, he says this, um, Our relationships with one another reveal to us what we really believe as opposed to what we think we believe, our convictions as opposed to our opinions. It is possible for the gospel to remain at the shallow level of opinion, even sincere opinion, without penetrating to the deeper level of conviction. So when Jesus calls us uh, to love one another, it's actually reinforcing what we say we believe about God. Either we believe that he has cleansed us and brought us together, or it's something that we just talk about. Because the truth of the matter is, we're able to love one another freely only to the degree that we've received that love from God. I repeat that. We're able to love one another freely only to the degree we've received that love from God. So when we love one another, we begin not only to see them as people, but they actually become a gift to us. Like, the idea behind community is that we need one another. So uh, this past week, I had a friend come in from out of town. He's from Texas. And he was surprising a family that uh, is close to Ellie, my my wife. And... uh, uh, my, my friend's wife is actually Ellie's best friend, so it works together. And I got together with them, um, and they got to get around me as I started to date uh, Ellie and started to see that I was legit, I was 100 uh, about this. And so, uh, and, and so what happened is that me and uh, Joe, uh, we, 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 we formed this bond. And so when I found out that he was coming in, and I found out last Sunday, then it's, it's interesting because my entire week I rearranged it. It's like, yo, when can I meet up with this guy because I only see him so often. And it was interesting that I was able to move things around to, to make that fit. Why? 
because I realized that I need him in my life. And, and he's not there too often. He's in Texas. And so I realized any moment that I can get with him is a gift to me. And when he's in Texas, we call each other every so often, maybe a few times a month. But it's, it's what I need in my Christian faith. And it's, it's what I need to kind of get me going. They encourage me in my faith. They challenge me when I'm wrong. And, we mutual, and, they, and I do the same thing for them. And so what that means then is that I see them as my lifeline, right? If you're in the military, Dan, you would know, um, that in the military you're trained for combat. And when you do that, you entrust your lives to your platoon, right? And, and likewise, they do the same thing for you. And it's in the heat of combat, if you've ever been in that, that you understand that that's where those relationships are formed, that the trust is built there. But in the Christian world, it, it's much of the same thing. Like, we live in this spiritual battle, and things can get tough at times. There's temptation, distractions, things that are pulling us away. And I have my wife in a, as a great encouragement to me, but I also need my guys there to check me, right? So when we get together, we talk about, man, how's your purity? Are, how are you loving your wife? Uh, they're both fathers, and so when I get together with Joe and my guy, my other guy, like, we, we talk about how we're doing that, how they're doing, how, how I can learn from them. And it's been such a great gift to me. And so my question is, what would that look like for us? What would that look like for us to live in that community where we have this sense where, man, we, we really need each other. I, I can't live this thing out on my own. There's too many things that are distracting me. A couple weeks ago, um, we had this Q Commons event. And one of the things that I emphasized over and over in the talks was this idea of food and fellowship, that it's food that actually brings people together. And so, I mean, it brings me to the table. Um, so, so my question is, what if, what if the people that we didn't know, what if we started to invite them over for dinner? Something, something small, something simple. We don't have to throw this grand event. But what if we started by just inviting one person over for dinner? What if we were a culture of people that just invited people over to have a meal together? It's there that you get to learn about somebody else, and um, you, you get to feel what, what they're dealing with, and you can pray for them, and you can hear where they're coming from. You get to learn about their background, and at times it gets awkward. I mean, it's not always the easiest thing, but you work through that. You cross over those lines, and you become, you become family. And it's something that I feel like would be a great start for us. Jesus says in uh, verse 35, uh, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Some have argued that the greatest evidence to the non-believer is the way that Christians love one another. It's not how much Bible we know or how much we abstain from certain things. It's actually the way that we love one another. Yet in our nation, the world is, or America is saying something different. If you watch the news, especially leading up to this week, the, the American publicity is saying, we know you are his disciples by the political party you affiliate yourself with. And so then what it does is present to the world a Jesus 
that is the leader of a earthly kingdom, a temporal kingdom of uh, politicians that are deeply uh, divisive. And so Jesus then becomes one of those divisive people. Um, but God is calling us to change that narrative. God is calling us to love and serve one another so that Jesus looks like the king of a heavenly kingdom. That he is actually real, that he is coming back, and that he is instituting a new city, one that we all get to partake in. When we are able to live in that reality, then we serve those who don't necessarily believe with the same love as those who do believe. So we're able to serve those that are in the world with the same love that we have with those that believe. And we do that because we've cultivated this time of what it means to get uncomfortable with one another. Last weekend, I was um, at this Q&A event um, at Metropolitan Baptist Church, and it's in Davie. Uh, so my wife and I, um, since we've been married, we've been there like maybe two or three times. And it's interesting because I have a lot of history there. Uh, it's a primarily Jamaican church, and uh, it was instrumental in my faith in many different ways. Uh, so when we get back, or when we, when we got there, it was on the panel, and then we uh, finished that up, and then we're out in the parking lot. And I remember telling my wife, it's, this is where it all started for me. Uh, it was many, many years ago that I was in my second year of college at Broward College, and uh, Martin knows, and uh, I was invited to this church event uh, for New Year's. And it was there in that couple hours that I got around people that, man, they, they loved me and they accepted me, but they loved one another. And the way that they served one another was it was curious for me. I, I just didn't understand that kind of love. I had never been around something like that. And then afterwards, we got up in the parking lot, and we started to share some of our stories. And I was just like, man, I, I just, I don't know what you guys have, but I just know that I don't have that, that I, I need more of that. And it was good for me. It was refreshing. It was like, it was water when I was thirsty. And it was many, many months that it was many, many months before I became a Christian, but that was one of those pivotal moments. And I realized that it was one of those things, uh, moments like that, when I saw the community of people, the people of God loving each other, that actually drew me closer to God, that it actually pushed me forward in this journey of faith. And I think about my brother and the wrestling that he had and some of the questions that he had, and it was the people of God that helped you along in your spiritual journey where you are right now. And so I see that God works through community in order to bring us together. And as we live out this power of we, it actually becomes a witness to the world. That there are many other people just like me and my brother that are longing for a community like that. So we were created to be in this kind of community. It doesn't mean it's always easy, and it doesn't make it uh, less convenient. Um, we see it as a gift, and we're able to see it. When we're able to see it as a gift, it could benefit us. We're able to see that we need each other, right? And it's not 
pretense. It's not falsehood. We're not failing to keep it 100. We put our faith over our feelings to believe that this is what Jesus has called us to, to do and to be, to serve one another. And when we love and serve one another, following Jesus' example, it creates a far more persuasive narrative than the world that we're living in now. So what would it look like for us to live into that? Let me pray for us. Jesus, help us as we think about and we wrestle with what it means to, to love one another, to serve one another, with the love that you've showed your disciples. I pray that that would resonate with us and that we would long to be that kind of community that can serve the world with the same love that we have for one another. Jesus, I pray that your spirit would spur us on to good works of uh, having a meal with others or what, whether that means spending time with one another, getting to know somebody that we don't, but beginning to help us see each other as family. And ask that you would help us to do that. We thank you. We ask you this in your name. Amen.